In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year. Christ the King Sunday is our time to reflect on Christ as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Last year we did this, we reflected on Christ's kingship and of the coming of his kingdom, and that reflection enabled us to prepare for Advent. Advent is that time of the preparing for the coming of Christ uh, in his nativity, in his birth at Christmas. So we're able to spend four weeks uh, thinking about uh, the anticipation of the coming of this king. We celebrated the coming of the king and the, the worship of him in Bethlehem at Christmas in those 12 days. And then after the birth of Jesus, we reflected on how he uh, manifested himself. He made himself known to the world. He made himself known to the prophets at Jerusalem and to the Gentiles through the wise men. And uh, he continued to manifest himself. And we uh, thought about that and reflected on that through the season of Epiphany. Uh, once we reflected on Christ being made known, we perceived uh, our own sin and our own distance from God, and we perceived the need for uh, repentance, a need to uh, acknowledge our sins, and we did that through the 40 days of Lent. We acknowledged our own sins, and we acknowledged our need for a Savior, a Savior to cleanse us from our sins. And so when we gathered together on Good Friday and we remembered his crucifixion upon the cross, we knew exactly what... Uh, the Lord was dying for, what sins he was uh, dying to remove from us. And perceiving that uh, death, perceiving that grief and uh, his sacrifice, we were ready then to celebrate his resurrection on Easter. And we spent 49 days celebrating his resurrection and thinking about what the resurrected life meant for us and what promises we have in resurrection. And we knew that those promises would come through the Holy Spirit, and so we celebrated Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now we've spent six months, right, in this long green season reflecting upon uh, what it means that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, how our lives are changed, how our attitude and our thinking is changed now that we are Holy Spirit people, that we are filled with the power of God and that we're transformed to live according to His ways. And now we're back again at that time of... Christ the King ready again to celebrate and to reflect upon Christ's kingship. What does it mean that he is king and what does it mean that he has a kingdom? It's natural for us to go back to the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, you'll remember, is speaking in Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian uh, siege of that city. While other prophets talked about it's coming from a distance or they talked about it from Babylon as Daniel did, Jeremiah is in the city at the time of conquest. So the Babylonians have come. They've constructed siege works around the city. They've cut off water to the city. No food is allowed to get in. And uh, there are still people who are not ready to repent of their sin and to acknowledge the fact that the Lord has lifted his hand of protection and providence over them and to call out upon his salvation. They're still thinking that there's a diplomatic solution. They're still thinking there's a, a political solution. They're still thinking that they have some way to kind of figure it out and get themselves out of this trouble. And Jeremiah, like all the prophets before him, is waving his hands and saying, uh, we're getting what we deserve. Submit to the Lord. And he does this by uh, giving a woe. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds. A woe is a warning. A woe is saying, um, here is the sin and here's the consequence 
uh, of that sin. And this is how we understand uh, sin and trespass, right? That there's always a, a natural consequence. The sin here is that the shepherds, those who have responsibility, those who have authority over the people, whether they're political or religious leaders or military leaders or their um, fathers and, and mothers, whoever it is that has this authority over the people has neglected the use of their authority. They've neglected to instruct the people in righteousness. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep. You have not attended to them. You've not attended to them. So... Sin is acknowledged, and the consequence is the destruction of Jerusalem and the enslavement of the people of Judah. As always, the help, the medicine, the cure for all this is the Lord himself. The Lord says, I will be the shepherd of the sheep. I will be their king. I will be their protector if they would turn to me. So he says, behold, and there are two beholds, so we had one woe, and now we're going to have two beholds, we're going to have one in the middle of uh, verse 2, at the end of verse 2, behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, <clears throat> declares the Lord. So he says, I'm going to take care of it, I'm going to attend to your wound, right? I'm going to acknowledge the fact that you've been wounded spiritually, and I'm going to be the healer. And then he says, I'm going to gather you from the countries. So now he's already talking about the time after the exile, after they've received their, their just deserts. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back from the countries that you've been scattered to. I'm going to set up right shepherds over you. And then he says, behold, the days are coming when I will establish and raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. So this is the promise that the Lord made to David that his line would not end. And the promise, the fulfillment of that is in Christ Jesus. So the promise is made to David in about 1000 BC. We're at the time of the siege in about 580 BC. And the promise of this fulfillment is the time of Christ. Right? 0 or 1 A.D., however you want to count that. Do you see the time of God? This is a thousand year process that the Lord is undertaking for the healing of His people. So He says, Behold, I will attend to them, and behold, the days are coming when I will establish for them a king. And we have the understanding now of the kingdom because He says, he shall reign as a king. This is now on page 2 of your bulletins in the middle of verse 5. Who will deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. See, the kingdom of Israel is not a kingdom based on ethnicity. What kind of kingdoms do we see in the world? We see kingdoms based on ethnicity, language, based on geographic borders, based on philosophical principles like our own, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, a constitution. This is not what's establishing the kingdom of Israel. What's establishing the kingdom of Israel is one thing. That is the righteousness of God. The Lord is saying, I have made my people to be righteous people, to be holy as I am holy. And I am going to be their kingdom and establish, I'm going to be their king and establish for them a kingdom 
where I will instruct them in righteousness to be holy as I am holy. That's the whole purpose of the nation of Israel, of the kingdom of Judah, of the city of Jerusalem, of Christ the king of a kingdom that is now come and established in our midst. He is our king to teach us holiness so that we can be dwelling with God. So now that we see that the Lord has promised this, for now a thousand years, reminded the people of the consequence that they walk away from him, that they will no longer have his protection, that they will no longer have him as their shepherd and their king. And then we see him fulfill that promise in Christ the Lord. And we see that in Luke chapter 23, verse 35, and we see Jesus establishing himself as king by being crucified. And the people say, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. You said a king. We thought there was going to be a military solution. We thought you were going to kick the Romans out. We thought that you would kick the Greeks out. We thought that everybody would be speaking Hebrew again. We were looking for ethnic purity. We were looking for religious purity. Cleanse the temple. Remove all of these Gentiles that are living in the city of Jerusalem. Establish the borders. Punish wrongdoers. Right? They were looking for a, a, a political, a military solution. A legal solution. And Christ comes and does what? He dies. And for people who were looking for power and strength, this is worthy of two things. Scoffing and mocking. This is how they respond to Christ. We read in verse 35, And the people stood by, but the rulers scoffed at him. In verse 36, The soldiers mocked him. And they mean it to be a mockery and a scoffing to establish over the cross this title, The King of the Jews. They meant it as insult, and it's actually the truth of who he is. I'm going to take a brief sidebar, if you don't mind. I'd like to apologize for the uh, English Standard Version of the Scriptures and the Anglican Church in North America for choosing it as uh, the Scripture that they use. Uh, you all know, if you've been in Bible study with me, uh, there's uh, King James and then there's these progressive versions that have come after it. I would have spent my week putting the King James in because this was so irritating to me, but the Lord saves me from myself. He gave me other things to do. But, um, you know, they, they put in these tiny little, right, font. Some manuscripts add in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. Take that out. Didn't you read that with me this morning and say, wait a minute. What about it being written in Greek and Latin and Hebrew? Why is that important? It's important because he is making himself known to the whole world. What they meant as insult, they're actually proclaiming the gospel. And they're proclaiming it in the language of everyone. And that is our proclamation. We will proclaim the gospel in every language. Christianity is not a religion of ethnicity or of language. You don't have to learn Arab. You don't have to learn Hebrew. You don't have to learn Greek. 
The Lord will speak the language of his people. Every tongue is confessed. And every tongue is confessed at the foot of the cross. So it's very important that we um, include that as a way that they meant for scoffing. And then even, we might expect soldiers to scoff. We might expect rulers to scoff, because that's maybe part of it. But the fellow thief on the cross, the fellow criminal, right? He too rails at him, railed at him, and said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So even this man on the cross is unwilling, is unwilling to participate in the poverty of spirit, the mourning, and the meekness that were described to us in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. Even his crucifixion was not able to bring about even one little bit of humility. And that should be scary for us. We should think, am I experiencing humility? Or when people point out my faults and mistakes, am I you know, justifying myself? Do I justify myself and do I make excuses for my mistakes? Like this thief on the cross? Or am I humbly willing to repent like the good thief? The good thief acknowledges his sin. And for that, he enters into the kingdom of God. And instead of thinking that this is some kind of a golden ticket, you repent, and then Jesus gives you their t your ticket. Okay, there you go. There's your ticket. You can enter now the kingdom, right? Climb aboard the rocket ship. Instead of that, what we have to understand is that the, the kingdom of God is humility. Paradise is acknowledging our own sin and confessing Christ as our Savior. Paradise isn't someplace we're going later. Paradise is here and now. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within you. Paradise is right here, right now, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to say, I am not enough, and I desire and I hunger and thirst for the Lord and for His righteousness. And so St. Paul shows us the path of the cross. He shows us how we need to do that and again, I apologize. For some reason, here in Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 11, on page 3 of your um, bulletin, they're starting right in the middle of the sentence. Being strengthened with all power, right? For all of you English majors out there, you're reading that saying, what? Where, where did we start? Being strengthened? The passage actually starts with, St. Paul saying, we have not ceased to pray for you. So St. Paul is writing to the people of Colossae, and he's saying, we have not ceased to pray for you, and this is what we've been praying. We've been asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So he's saying, we pray that you would know what God wants you to do. Why? so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the Christian life. What do we do? We get filled with the will of God 
Why do we get the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit? So that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That's the kingdom of God. That's in paradise. Saying, not my will, because I've got a lot of really, I don't know about you, I'll speak for myself, I've got a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> right? I found the more I read, unfortunately, the more bad ideas sometimes I get, right? There's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of really bad thoughts that I have. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. What do I need? I need you all praying for me the way that St. Paul did so that I would have the knowledge and will of God. Why are you praying that I have the knowledge and will of God? You're praying for me so that I'm able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And then he has these, these phrases, bearing fruit and being strengthened. So these are the results of walking according to the Lord. We are bearing fruit and being strengthened. What are we being strengthened with? Now we're, we're back on verse 11. We're being strengthened with the power of God for endurance and patience and joy. Because as we're walking along the path of God, that's what we need. We need endurance. We need patience because it's not going to be an easy road. Sometimes people talk about the Christian life like, oh, I've been saved and now I'm happy and everything's great. Uh, have you read the scriptures? Right? Have you read the Acts of the Apostles? It's proclaimed Christ and then what? Get beaten and thrown in jail. Right? And we would be naive to think that we won't need endurance and patience for that. That's what we need. And we will have patience and joy when we give thanks to the Father who has done what? He's done these three amazing things. He's qualified us. Isn't that wonderful? We've been qualified, right? Like you make a qualification like we're hoping the United States does today against Wales, right? To qualify for the next round, right? Guess what? God qualified us. He's delivered us from darkness. We've been delivered. We've been taken out. We've been qualified for the next round of paradise by Him, by His power. He's delivered us out of darkness. And now He's transferred us. We got our transfer papers to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And then for the second half, he says, what, what does this mean? What does this mean that we live in the kingdom of God? We have to understand who he is. Who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He's the firstborn of all creation. All things were made by him. By him, all things were created. All things were created through him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. That means that there will be a second and thirdborn. That by God's grace will be us, born into everlasting life. This is our hope, right? Our hope is the resurrection. That in everything, He might be preeminent. That means that in everything, He will be first. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. That means He wants to reconcile us to Him. He wants to bring us to Him so that we can dwell with Him, we can abide with Him, we can live with Him. And he does this by making peace by the blood of his cross. He does this by his sacrifice, by the shedding of his blood. But the only way to enter into that kingdom is to be like that good thief. What does he say? Don't you fear God? 
since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly. Listen to what he says. He says, we're getting our just desserts. I'm getting what I deserve. He says, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We have to confess to God, we're getting what we deserve. We're receiving the consequence of our sin. But this man has done nothing wrong. When we acknowledge that we are weak, and he is strong, that we are broken, and he is holy, that left to our own devices we fall into sin, but trusting in him we are promised paradise and the kingdom of God that we may dwell there with him forever. May we see each other soon and see each other in paradise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.